Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Um, our family, uh, you probably noticed, if, for those that were gathered here last week, that uh, the Madrano family weren't here. Uh, we had the privilege of being one of the uh, Southwest customers that got our, our flights all messed up and, and whatnot. Um, we, we flew out Christmas morning, well, we attempted uh, to get on a flight on Christmas morning and got, we were, we were going to visit family up in uh, Washington State and hours and hours of delay uh, in San Diego Airport finally got us into Sacramento and hours and hours, hours of delay in Sacramento uh, finally got a notification that said your flight is canceled and we were uh, left in Sacramento. <laughs> and, um, and so we, we worked things out to where we, we rented a car and, and did the 10-hour drive up to, to SeaTac Airport to drop off a car there and be picked up by Larissa's family. And so our Christmas dinner uh, was Jack in the Box. Yes, it was an incredible Christmas uh, dinner. But then um, there was actually there's good news that, that came out out of all this. I got, um, well, my stepsister through a silent auction uh, one box suite tickets to the San Francisco 49ers versus the Oakland Raiders. Um, and she invited me to go. And, <laughs> and so on uh, last week, uh, January 1, I got to be in a box suite, unlimited food, unlimited drink. I, I gorged out on food because it was free. Like, and um, so I enjoyed my day kicking off the new year watching uh, a football game and even found that our box suite gave us access to get all the way down to stand on the field. Uh, so I was able to go down onto the field, was behind just a, a small little gate, and just beyond that gate was the Oakland Raiders uh, equipment and sideline uh, that was all there. So it was, it, was, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. <laughs> um, but again, happy, happy New Year uh, to you. The best joke. This is going to set it up as if it's an incredible joke. Don't let your expectations be too high here. Uh, the, be the best joke that I heard in 2022 uh, goes like this. There was a rabbit, a pastor, and a priest that went to a blood donation center. And when they arrived at the blood donation center, they were asked which, what their blood type was, to which the rabbit responded, I'm probably a typo. You could probably write it out and figure out what's going on with that joke. Takes a little bit for it to settle in, maybe. Like I said, not a great joke. It was rabbi by the way, okay. <clears throat> I wanted, wanted to start off uh, this, this new year by going just through a, a, a mini-series on the power of words, on the power of words. We're going to be looking through the book of James just over the next two weeks, maybe three weeks, um, and, and exploring how much of a value James puts on our 
words. I, I have had great affection for the book of James. Um, our son Tiago is actually partly named because of the book of James. If, if you don't know, um, Tiago is Portuguese for, for James. We're not uh, from Portugal, we're not Portuguese, um, but we, we like the pronunciation of it. And there's also the connection that San Diego is named after St. James. And um, as we've continued to find a home here in San Diego and our, our love and affection for this city and our love and affection for the book of James, um, we named our, our boy Tiago. And, and what I love about James is just how practical he is. Everything that he writes is so much about the expression of our faith in, in our day-to-day -day living. And so he, he, it makes so much sense that he puts an emphasis on our words and an emphasis on this small, humble part of our body called the tongue and how it can, the tongue can be used as this incredible expression of our life in Jesus. Let me, let me read to you a list um, from the book of James, the different ways that he talks about our words. We, with our words, we ask God for wisdom, chapter 1, verse 5. With our words, we are meant to be quick to listen and slow to speak, chapter 1, verse 19. We are to control our tongue, 1, 26. We're not to show partiality in our words, chapter 2, verse 3. Going to chapter 3, we're not to, to teach without pursuing spiritual maturity, verses 1 and 5. That, that same section that the tongue is like a spark that can set a great forest on fire. That with our words, we can praise our father and curse our brothers and sisters out of the same mouth. He speaks of that in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, he teaches us that we aren't to boast. And then in chapter 5, he goes through this list that we're not to grumble that we don't have any need for oaths because our yes means yes and our no means no, uh, that we should pray when we're facing hardships, that we should sing praises when we're happy, we should call for the elders to pray when we're sick, and we should confess our sins to one another. James puts an incredible emphasis on the power of our words. In my own, t in my own life, I've I've had, I've had a challenge with words. Uh, reading comprehension has always been a struggle for me. I don't know if anyone else in this room has that problem where you read a sentence and then you reread the sentence and you try to figure out what's going on there or you finish a chapter or you finish a paragraph and you're not entirely sure what was communicated in what you're reading. I, reading comprehension has always been a challenge. Uh, I, I didn't go to a great high school, and so when I went to college and took writing classes and uh, different English courses, I was soon to discover how much I didn't know when it came to, to language. The, the, it wasn't until college that I realized sentences have these things called structure to them. Honestly, like no, no clue. Um, 
I, I have a challenge, and I struggle with speaking on the spot. I can do this. I could stand up and do this because I have spent hours writing down and crossing out and rewriting down my words. I don't know about anyone else, but man, just standing up in front of a group of people and just speaking off of the cuff, that, that's terrifying for me. I get knots in my stomach with that kind of place. And I, I have put my foot in my mouth on so many occasions. I, 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 it was actually just this last year I came across this phrase and it's called sharer's remorse. I know you've been in conversation with people, maybe with new people or, or people that you're like um, having kind of like an emerging friendship with or a group that you're somewhat familiar with and you kind of, you, you share in a group setting. Maybe that you've had this in like small groups type settings, but you've shared in a group and then you go home on the drive home, you have that like wave of remorse and insecurity that comes over you just like, oh, should I have said that? You know, if Luris and I were to have um, have conflict. We never get into conflict with one another. But let's say if we did, I imagine that a common story for me would be that I would have a hard time in those moments expressing the pains and the frustrations that I'm going through. I don't know if you've been in those spaces when you've been in, in communication with loved ones in these places of tension or these places of conflict, the ability to actually express what's happening in the depths of your soul, the ability to actually express, like, let me put to words what's happening inside here. I don't know, maybe, maybe others have, have experienced that. When, when James writes, particularly in James chapter 3, what you'll see him explore, man, no person can control their tongue. The, the, the tongue is something that we cannot bridle. But he also has, I believe throughout his letter, this expression of hope that, that through the formative work of God's own word, being implanted in our lives, that he does a work within us that actually allows us to speak a better word to the people around us, to speak a word that gives life, to bring words that are a gift. And I just wanted to spend just a couple of weeks, to start off the new year, just to say, man, let's imagine together what it would look like to be a community that is intentional about the way we speak. They just recognize, and listen, not, not a message, not, not a couple of weeks to get in front of you and say, listen, you need to learn to stop cussing. No, but, but, but I think a few weeks of just stopping and realizing, man, I believe that we're in a formative season in the life of our community. That God is doing something special amongst us and forming a community where there is joy 
where there is delight, where there is healing, where there is health, where, where, where there is encouragement, a, a community in which God is forming, in which people can arrive and know that they are valued and know that they are loved and know that, they, that, that there's real joy to have them a part of, their, of our community. And I think that if God is going to continue to develop that amongst us here, our words are going to be a primary way in how he cultivates a healthy, joyful, life-giving community. Like, to just go out of our way and to actually, without hesitation, to actually speak to one another and tell one another, like, I value you, I enjoy you, I believe in you, or I saw you do this and I appreciate it about you. I just imagine this, the, the spaces that you navigate in your own lives and what we recognize in, in all the environments that we operate in. Think about workplaces, think about classrooms, think about homes. I think a lot of the times the way that words are used is that they're used with, as weapons, they're used as, as places in which complaints are regular or, or vulgarness is regular or, but I mean, but to imagine a community in which words are intentionally used to bring life. To be a part of a people where you know where you're going to show up and people are actually going to come to you and just say, I love you. And I, I really appreciate this about you. I don't know, like, like I, I don't know, like Jenny. When you shared about, a few weeks ago, about serving at the Balboa um, Rose Garden, there's just something about the joy of creation that was in, in the way that you talked to us. There is just something about your delight in creation that shone through, and it was a connection to the Father's heart the way that he speaks life into creation, the joy that was on your face when you shared. It has stuck with me. And I'm so grateful for it. I mean, like I, honestly, it's been, it's been something that I've, I've wanted to grow in more recently to not hesitate on telling people, like, I see this about you, and I appreciate you, and I value you. Because I don't know about you, I grew up in a home where we were adverse to anything that was flowery or corny. I grew up in a home where, and maybe it was just because it, it, it was a home full of boys, and the way that we connected with one another was sports. And so it was just, it just, was, it was just out of the norm to stop and, and just to be affectionate in our language to one another. And, and it's been just a whole lot more recently that I've realized 
man, I, words can bring life and words can be a gift to the people around us. I want to start in James chapter 1. I'm going to read um, starting at verses 17, um, and I'm going to go um, to the end of the chapter. James chapter 1, starting at verse 17, it says, it says this. It says, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls." But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any, any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and are going away immediately forget, um, sorry, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If anyone thinks they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You can see just in this short section the, the respect and the value that James has for our words. I want to start in this section here in verses 17 through 21 where you'll see the quality and character of God's word. And we're going to be talking about our words. Let's first take uh, note of what God's word is, is like. There are three things, and you'll see them come up on the screen for us. Notice the way that James talks about the character and the effectiveness of God's word. The Word gave us birth. The Word is a gift. The Word has the power to save our souls. The first one is that the Word gives us life. When, that when God speaks, when this good, generous Father of our speaks a word of truth, what it does is it brings life. This is the characteristic of God's speaking, that when He speaks life, happens. I mean, you can immediately think of the creation narrative, the creation account, right? When, what we see described for us in Genesis chapter 1 is that God said, and there was, that when God speaks, life happens. And when you look over the gospel accounts, that what you see is Jesus standing in front of a grave, of Lazarus's grave, and he calls out, Lazarus, come on out. You see Jesus in a home with parents next to him and, 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 and bending down and speaking to a little girl and telling her, little girl, I say, get up. 
And what you see powerfully demonstrated in the gospel accounts is that when Jesus speaks, there's life that happens. When he speaks, it implants life to where he is talking. His word spoken has birthed life in you. And let me try to highlight this by a quick reflection on the connections of verses 26 and 27. James comments that our religion is worthless if our tongue isn't bridled. And he also says that true religion is caring for widows and orphans. Both of those statements are anchored in the fact that God loves to bring life. And he makes a connection between how we speak and caring for people, specifically for people that have experienced death. The people that he's talking about here, right, when you stop and you think about it, orphans and widows, where they are at in, in their place of life is because they've experienced death around them. And so when James talks about our, our faith, he connects our words and caring for those who have experienced death. God's word loves to bring life. Let's look at another characteristic of God's word. James frames God's word as the central expression of a God who gives good gifts. If you could bring the quote up on, on this uh, screen, this commentary by um, James Earl Massey in the Life with God uh, Bible. He says, God is the giver of good. Right? We see that in verse 17, and not evil. And the central perfect gift is his word of truth by which we are born anew. The word of God flows out of the heart of a good and generous father. And there's so much play at here. Do you see the joy and the generosity of the father in these words? It's with great excitement and gladness that he speaks to you. His word is spoken to be a gift. His word is spoken so that we might understand that he delights in us and that he enjoys us. Can I tell you the story of, of the antithesis of this? I, um, I served at, at a church uh, in LA quite a few years ago and I was the junior high pastor at that church. And uh, that church also had a middle school that was on the campus and that middle school hosted a weekly chapel for the students. I would attend that chapel um, just to be there as a point of, of encouragement or just to be available to the students. And one week that I was there, there was a guest speaker. Um, and he got up in front of, of, let me clarify, this was not me that was the guest speaker. But this, this guy got up in front of the junior hires, and he was preaching on the power of our words. And so he thought, that, but to just demonstrate the power of our words and the power of our words to have life or death, he got up in front of the junior hires and he started asking the names of the kids. And he stopped at one kid and he said, what's your name? Claire? 
Claire, I hate you. And then he continued to go around the room and identify kids and then speak a word that was hostile to them. And that room was so quiet. And you imagine already middle school students, that level, like the, the space of like just tension and like how, insecure, how much insecurities there are in middle school. And then you have this adult that comes up and is just like, what's your name? Oh, yeah, I hate you. And then he goes on to say, like, see, words have power. And we were like, yeah, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. What you see demonstrated here is that God's word is a gift. This is every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. And, and, and the central expression of, of this good and generous Father is that his words are a gift to you. He wants his word to be a gift to you. The other thing that we realize is that, that the words have power. In verse 21, what you see described is, is uh, James says, therefore rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth, wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power, the power to save your souls. James reflects that the word of God has this formative type work in our lives. His word is at work with us. His word planted within us and is saving us, is working at it, it, in the soil of our lives. His, his word is doing this, this, this work within us. And I love the way that verse 18 phrases it, is that his word is spoken to us, is given to us, so that we would be some, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is, what is he saying there, that we would be a first fruit of, of his creatures? It's that this word of God is so powerful and is at work within you into such a degree that your life is going to be a foretaste of what God is going to ultimately bring when he fully arrives here on earth, when he fully and perfectly marries heaven and earth together, that his word is implanted in you, and it's, at, it's doing such a powerful work within you that your life is going to be absolutely different. It's going to be like a fruit, a first fruit of his creation. Every word that he speaks, speaks is aimed to care for your soul. Every word that he speaks is spoken to shape you and to form you and to care for you. So James comes to this conclusion for us. Welcome with meekness the implanted word. Don't be so quick to speak, but be quick to listen. What he's doing here is saying, listen, God's word is this gift. God's word is spoken to bring you life. God's word has the power to shape and transform your soul. 
So the right response is that we'd be a people that are quick to listen to his word. That we'd be a people that just stop and listen to the affectionate word that God wants to speak over us. Let this word get in you. Let this word of life get in you and let it ruin your appetite for the kinds of speech that have influenced your life in other ways. Let this word of life get in you and meditate on it. And so practically speaking, what are ways that we can be quick to listen to the word of God so that it has a formative effort, a formative work in our lives? One, that we would be quick to listen. That, that, that might mean that we are a people that are quick to have practices of silence. Practices where we are still and we let the word of God wash over us. Just maybe a few minutes in our day where we just have a habit of being still and listening to what God might be speaking to us. The other thing that I would encourage us is to have times of meditation and reflection on the Word of God, that we would get into to these historic church practices of sitting on the Word of God and let it be something that we sit and recall in our mind and, 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 and let it be something that we, we meditate on and think about His Word. Do you guys remember these things called CDs? <laughs> <clears throat> You, you know what I'm talking about? There's these round discs that you would put in a, in a stereo. Yeah, and they, they used to come with, you remember this music used to come with booklets? And, and you, would, you would open up these booklets and they would have all of the lyrics of, of the songs. And it used to be, this is going to be like my old man rant right now, that music used to be our albums used to be put together with like a theme to them, and, and there would be, a, there'd be an, a purpose to the way that the, the albums were designed so that track one led into track two and track two. I grew up on 80s and 90s hip hop, and man, I loved to just sit and like open up the booklets and read over the lyrics. But then that transformed, once I started following Jesus, that transformed to where I would love on New Music Tuesdays. That's when, when new CDs would come out, and I would go to my local Christian bookstore, and I would open up the, the, the CDs that were there, <clears throat> and I would open up the booklets, and I would just put an album on. And I'd spend 40, the 45 minutes of the album just reading lyrics, just stopping and, and, and I remember the, like the depth of connection I had with those worship songs because it actually became this habit of just sitting still. Like it wasn't I was driving and listening to the worship songs. It wasn't just, it was background music. It wasn't, like, it was just this practice of sitting and reading what I was listening to. And I think that kind of, those kind of simple practices 
can be something that we can do, that we could step into that just allows for God's word to have a little bit more of, of a planting in our souls. And what that might look like is, and I've, I've done this recently, is I'll have an audio version of the Bible and I'll have, I'll have the scripture opened in front of me and it's just sitting. Like just, that's the aim of that moment. You know, Campus Crusade just came out with a really cool app. It's called Her Bible. And um, I just downloaded it over, uh, I think, two weeks ago. And their aim was just like, hey, there's not a lot of um, Bible uh, reading apps that is just women's voices. And so it was, it was a group of women that just felt like, hey, there's a need. It'd be nice to hear the Bible kind of in my own voice. And so they released an, uh, an app that's called Her Bible. You can download it in probably in your uh, different app stores and just listen to it. And I downloaded it, and I've, been, I've listened to it on a few occasions, just kind of thinking, hey, that's kind of, it just helps me to, to hear God's word in a different tone in a different texture. But again, the, the, the hope in all of this is just to say that we would have these practices in our lives where we recognize it's the implanted word that saves our souls. It's the stopping and being still, being, being quick to listen to the word of God in our lives. So practices that we could do, silence, meditation and reflection on God's word, memorization on God's word, and then I would say conversation with, with one another, another over God's word. And James has this simple, practical vision for the church, that we would have a life posture that is quick to listen and slow to speak. We would have this life posture that is quick to listen to what God is saying and that that has a transformative work on our own speech. I want to wrap up by, by, by thinking about it by this way. I think, I, I'm going to say, and I'll frame it as, as this way. My, my assumption is that the reason that James is so practical, that the reason that he writes this letter with, with such an emphasis on day-to-day -day living is because James is the younger brother of Jesus. His, his mom is Mary. And so that means James grew up with Jesus as his older brother. I, and so, so James' environment, his growing up, was to be around someone who powerfully demonstrated what day-to-day -day living could be like. Like, he interacted with Jesus in, like, I don't know, taking out the trash and washing the dishes. Like, he interacted with Jesus in, in playing, like, wooden Hot Wheels. <laughs> And, and, and you think about this man who, who, who writes a letter with such practicality, 
who values the mundane and who puts such an emphasis on the smallest area of our lives. And again, my assumption is that the reason James is so practical is because he saw Jesus live out the very practical and mundane areas of life. That he saw the power of someone who in every space of their life, there is joy, there is peace, there is delight, there is goodness, there is kindness, there is gentleness, there is love. Like James saw Jesus growing up, and there had to be so much power in there in that space of seeing Jesus just live. Like James saw the way Jesus spoke to Mary. James was in the room and and hearing the way that Jesus spoke to people. James was in the room and watched the way that Jesus just did his chores or ate his dinner or, or, or said goodnight at night. And so I think that's why he writes to us and says, Something that can come across as so harsh from our original look at it. If anyone thinks they're religious and do not bridle their tongues, but they deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless, right? Like that can come across as so harsh. That can come across as like, ooh, why would you say that? But I think what what James is communicating to us is our faith is meant to get into the smallest areas of our lives like a faith that is, is weighty, a faith that makes a difference, a faith that has significance and worth and power and value is a faith that gets into things even like your words, into the smallest of your words. Pastor Brittany, would you come back up? We can head back in, into worship. Let's conclude in a song together. church this week, I've just been thinking, man, what what might it look like? What could it be like to continue to be a part of community where the way that we speak to each other is filled with weight and significance and value? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word spoken to us. Father, we thank you for the space that we've had here gathered together with one another. And I just pray that you would speak a good word to your people. Um, Father, it might be the case that this, this community would, be, would be, be washed in the life of your word. Father, there's any brothers or sisters in this room that, that are just maybe even in a difficult space, um, that, that it's been a challenging week, it's been maybe there's places of frustration and tension and turmoil. Uh, Father, I, I pray that they would hear a word of life spoken to them. I pray that your spirit would speak to them and, and be a 
be a word of encouragement. Lord, birth life within our souls. Father, we ask that we would be a people that are able to just stop and be still and hear your word spoken over us. May we know the gift and power of your spoken word. Father, I pray that what you would do is, is continue to shape us and form us so that when we speak to one another, that when we share with one another, Lord, it would bring life. May our words be a gift, we pray. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen.